0: finish my dang-on analytics story. You got to go to bed or something? You go get any computer and learn what the best shots are, they'll tell you a post-up sports shot in basketball. Hello, everyone. This is Kenzie. Um long hiatus of the Sports on Paper podcast, but super excited to speak with Kostya today. Um, He made Darko and uh, I'll let him introduce himself.
1: Uh, Thanks, Kenzie. Um, So yeah, I'm Kostya Medvedovsky, the creator of the Darko NBA projection system. It's a box score uh, projection system, which also it has like an SPM output uh, called DPM. Uh, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, super excited. Um, I've had quite a few people ask <laughs> for me to have you on here, so finally doing it. I think I've stayed away from basketball topics the last uh, however many episodes I did, uh, but uh, happy to do it now because that's that's kind of the the sports analytics that I pay attention to the most um you seem to do a lot of stuff like uh how how did you uh get inspired to make darko uh
1: yes i came to basketball stats from uh from baseball i'm in uh like a very long time competitive fantasy baseball league um you know people like take it really really seriously uh and the the creator of the league he's like a actually the data editor of the economist and he he started creating these really intricate projection systems, uh, and sort of taught me a lot about how how to, how to do this, of, of essentially how to w- weight in-season values. Um, and then I, I kind of I don't know what happened, but at some point I got incredibly bored with baseball. Um, the sport yeah. uh, <laughs> the sport somehow reached this like point where it seemed to be like kind of solved. There was like a before we had like really good track man data um there was this like point where it's just like the sort of the lack of dynamic d- d- dynamism which like you gotta just jam as much war onto your team as possible, and like there's no like trade offs it's just like one player strictly dominates another uh it starts to like kill me, and I just like couldn't couldn't take it anymore with baseball yeah. for a minute um, When was that that was like. I don't know 2005 2006 I'm also a Red Sox fan so maybe it's also the, that they won the World Series um and like maybe that just sort of killed the the intrigue um but uh then the Celtics got Kevin Garnett and I discovered basketball I'm like uh, the, the worst kind of uh bandwagon fan that way uh I, I got into basketball and First, uh, you know, found some of those the wages It wins guys, and sort of quickly learned the error that way, and got into some more interesting uh, analytics uh, on the basketball end.
0: Nice, that's awesome. Um, cool. So, I guess the the baseball projection systems are those like kind of doing the same thing as Darko in that it would try to predict what the player would do the next day.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, the, well, the baseball projection systems, what they do is they're mostly trying to project the next season. Um, you know, so there's Zips, there's Schemer, there's a few others. And most of what they do in in fantasy sports uh, is they try to project the next season. Uh, so they take, uh, you know, the, the last three seasons of data, four seasons of data, et cetera. And they have some kind of weighting scheme. <laughs> And they use that to, you know, project, uh, you know, here's my Trout's going to hit 37 home runs or something. They're not really super fit, uh, you know, as far as I can tell, to, like, in-season modeling. And, you know, some of them have in-season capabilities, but you, you like, look around at them at, like, the, the waiting schemes cl- are clearly super different in season than versus the off season. They're like they've got some kind of hacks going on, where it's like they're just arbitrarily waiting. Like oh, I'm going to wait in season results 20% or something. Um, and you just get these like huge swings where players are way, way over-indexed on recency, under-indexed on recency, and it's just like has almost no relationship in some ways to the. Off-season projections, which are quite good, um, and so D- Darko, the the big the big innovation uh, at least uh, on my end uh, of, of Darko is to sort of apply an exponential decay approach and a Kalman filter to sort of handle the in-season waiting um, to 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 handle waiting for recency, really of like you know if a player is played better over the last six weeks how do you balance that against their, their career history um and it's an idea I, th- I think i first saw from tango tiger who's a you know i'd say mostly a baseball twitter uh, personality and he suggested that uh, you know the way you should really do this is you should wait uh, take every play- game a player has played and just wait the older games by you know x to the power of how many days ago it was and then uh you know, just solve wrecks uh, in some way, um, and that just seems like it seemed to be like such an elegant system because uh, it it lets you do both the off season waiting and the in season waiting at once. So you, you have sort of like a single uh, waiting framework uh, that that handles both elegantly.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. So like, if you're doing points, trying to. Predict someone's points for the next day? Are you looking at, or like, you know, points per hundred or whatever, but are you basically just having their points per hundred from like every day and then just only using that feature to predict today's points? No, yeah. Uh, So, I, you know,
1: so Dark, Darko at the core is like, you know, really just a really complicated feature generation
0: uh, engine.
1: Um, where I, I create, like, a feature for, like, their points per uh, points per 100 possessions, points per, you know, field goal, so I guess field goal percentage or something. Um, you know, so I create features for two-point shooting, three-point shooting, uh, high field goal distance, um, you know assists uh all just all all these i think there's 85 different metrics i'm creating features Mm -hmm. for and they're all going through the exponential weighting system with separate weights applied for each metric so you know your three-point uh field goal percentage has a different weighting applied than your two-point field goal percentage um so they're all being churned through uh this sort of like feature generation and then at the end you know to your question of like how am i projecting points you know i i, I then just you know throw it into uh light gbm uh you know i got into this a little after xgboost uh so uh um but yeah i just like take uh take all those features and jam them into uh light gbm to like actually generate an output
0: awesome awesome so it's basically like <clears throat> points today's points are predicted by a bunch of features, and these features are made through exponential decay.
1: They're made through exponential decay, and then I have a parallel set of features um, where I'm taking the, uh, the all the same uh, all the same inputs and running them through sort of a modified Kalman filter. it's It's modified to handle sample weights, uh, which Kalman filter at least. As I have found it, and that does not natively do, um, and so that, that's generating sort of a parallel set of features. So I'm like sprinting into a bunch of collinearity problems that way, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm doing it in, in sort of the hopes that later on my sort of feature selection approaches will, will handle those issues for me.
0: Got it. I've never actually used the common filter. Like, what what does it do? So common filter
1: is this like idea for. Uh, I think it, it it literally came from like how to track uh, the location of a rocket, um, or at least that's the example I always read. So it's like you're 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 tracking you're trying to track the location of a rocket, uh, and you've got these like radar signals coming in, um, and the signals have some noise around them. You know, there's like just noise in your in your measurements. Like maybe there's a cloud or something in, in the way. It's like your your measurements inherently have some kind of like plus or minus three mile, uh, or uh, or some kind of um, variance. But then you've also got an issue that as you take more and more measurements, the rocket is also moving. Um, so the common filter is this is an approach. Uh, That Coleman came up with essentially how to like balance those, those two factors of, uh, to, to balance noise against a moving target. And you can sort of, when you frame it that way, you can sort of see like, that's sort of like player talent, like player talent is changing, but it's also noisy. Just like, you know, three point shooting is, is noisy, but players also like improve. Um, so if you can sort of pass, uh, a player stats through the filter to sort of get a live estimate of where, where their talent is in a given stat. So like understand where the proverbial rocket is. Um, it's not perfect. Obviously there's a, there's a measure of variance around that, but it gives you a, a, at least a pretty good estimate. Um, and the way it works is really, it's like, uh, it, it takes the, uh, the estimated location and has some kind of like. Initial estimate, and then with each uh, each new measurement, essentially, it's updating it by sort of a percentage uh, of like what the new measurement is, and it has some internal measure of variance of like how much does each additional should each additional measurement update versus like the prior that it had before.
0: Cool. Yeah, that seems pretty useful to smooth stuff out. Um... And so okay so then you said you hope that the feature selection after that helps with some collinearity issues like do you do you do some sort of feature selection before you throw it into a gradient boosted tree or do you kind of just let the the tree do that part
1: No I, I do feature selection before um, Part of the reason is just for hyperparameter fittings and, and speed reasons. And I'm, I'm just generating so many features that it becomes a little unwieldy because I've got like these 85 metrics uh, that I'm, I'm tracking initially, these are like box score metrics or plus minus metrics. Um, then there's two versions of each of them because each one of them has an exponential decay version and then a Kalman fi- uh, filter version. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we'll probably talk about this a little more later, but each uh, each feature also has, um, I'm tracking the first and second derivative of each feature. Um, oh wow, okay. And so like my dimensionality is like exploding uh, dramatically because it's like 85 times like four uh, now. Um, so I've got like 320 features plus like a bunch of some set of biographical features like height, weight, and stuff. So I, I do I, I spend a, a good amount of time putting together a, a feature selection approach uh, to just like cut that down. So I'm not passing like 320 features into a ready-boosting tree.
0: Why not? <laughs> just just oh, like honestly, just
1: speed. Uh, you're probably right. Uh, I've not actually seen like huge returns in terms of accuracy to not not uh, to getting rid of all the features, but it just like makes the model fit dramatically faster, and I can do hyperparameter uh, tuning faster um, by you know dropping my dimensionality from like 320 features to like know, thirty uh, or something. Everything, everything else just happens much faster. I also tell myself there's benefits in terms of decreased like variance and interpretability, and that's all true-ish. Um, but I would say like the really practical reason is just like it, it helps with uh, model fitting and like uh, speed.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Practical, uh, practical trade-off. Um... Yeah. Yeah, the, the the data infra for this seems pretty complicated. How does <laughs> um, like? I remember you telling me a while ago. It's just like oh, a bunch of notebooks cobbled together, which really scared <laughs> me. But uh <laughs> if it works, it works, and I definitely respect that. And don't like when things yeah. are over-engineered. So if notebooks, yeah, no. the right amount of engineering then.
1: I, I am the very paradigm and like caricature of, you know, like the data scientist who like never learned to properly code, and I'm the character that because I am that guy. I I learned to code just sort of like when I was like 32, 33. I'm you know, I'm a lawyer, you know, it's my day job. Just like, you know, it's a it's not a it's not a light job. Uh, so I'm like, how yeah. sort of limited bandwidth to to teach myself proper mechanics um you know i have like okay data science instincts um and I like to like really fight tooth and nail to teach myself like to code like syntax um github copilot is like the greatest uh, thing i've ever seen um yeah, and so <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's like solved all my syntax complaints. Uh, but, uh, so then like, once I got a workflow working through Jupyter notebooks, um, I like have had very little interest in sort of moving over to a more robust, you know, like truce, like script approach. Uh, but, uh, yeah, when I run Darko every morning, it is like a chain set of, I think probably 15 or 16 notebooks. Uh, that that have to run consecutively because it's like so much feature engineering uh, has it goes on.
0: Nice. Did you like build a build a computer for this? I think you, I remember seeing you post about uh, EPUs and stuff.
1: Um. Yeah. No. I I, uh, I built a I, I built a computer for this initially just like buying like parts of like Newegg, um, and then after a while I, I started. looking to uh just I uh, got like upgrading it and I discovered that actually like buying just buying sort of an OEM box, like a gaming computer, uh, ended up being like essentially just the same price as building it myself and so I, I went that route. So I've got this like blinged out uh, uh computer that's generating all sorts of neon colors. That I never uh you know, I'm not I'm not really a gamer, but I've got all these like flashy neon lights that my daughter's always wondering like why, why is your computer like so horrible?
0: <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's good. So it's like Darko is both like over-engineered and not engineered at the same time. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
1: no, I mean, like somebody should really like sit down and rewrite it. And I keep telling myself I'm going to do that. But like when I compare, you know, do I want to, would I rather spend like the next six months rewriting the Darko uh workflow into like being something more robust or like would i rather work on new problems like the answers are i would always always rather work on new problems
0: totally yeah i feel that um cool let's see we have uh i i kind of i solicited questions from like friends and twitter and um i just kind of uh weave them into like the, the outline we have so um Zach Feldman asks, how do you account for correlation and changes in stats for both slash all of the court wait, uh, for both or all of the correlated stats simultaneously? I guess so, the tree kind of does that, maybe.
1: Yeah, so I think uh, what I think you might be asking um, is, how do I? how do you account for, you know, I'm like doing this feature engineering um, to take on like say like free throw percentage um, and then I'm doing separate uh, engineering on like uh, three point uh, percentage. And so those are, you know, being weighted independently. Um, These are like correlated stats, but they're changing, the history of each one is changing independently, and so then, how does the tree sort of like know uh, when it's when it's generating an output of like how does it know to balance that like, hey, not only is this guy's three-point shooting improving, but his free uh, free throw percentage is also improving lately. Um, I'm sort of interpreting uh, the question here, uh, but yeah. the the answer to that is at least it I is. think
0: I think you have that you have that chart that's like, do I buy Brandon Ingram's like recent Uptick in shooting, three point shooting, I think last year or something. No, yeah, no.
1: he's like the canonical example here where it's like these are two features. It, uh, free throw shooting, you know, is predictive of of three point shooting, and three point shooting is predictive of free throw shooting. Um, but so how does uh, essentially like yeah, how does the model like track that not only is a guy, you know, you can see his level, because that's what the features generate, but how does it track it like he, you know, that they're improving? Um, at the same time, and the answer there is that that's what I, I sort of like use those derivative features for um, That you know the, the model has access to Not just that like, you know Ingram's weighted three-point percentage is like 37% but it sees that his uh, Derivative his first derivative of free throw percentage is like really increasing um, rapidly so it sees it, it can like, you know essentially tell that His free throw exponential decay, um, you know, might be uh, is also sort of captures that like you know he was he had a rapid improvement in that in that category as well.
0: Yeah, is that okay? That's pretty cool. Is that um, free throw rate? Sorry, free throw percentage uh, derivative. Like uh, intuitively, that's like a good feature for. Predicting future three-point percentage. Did you actually like check that? Do do you kind of look at feature importance or anything like Shap? Yeah,
1: I, I I've been I, I check uh, like Shap, uh, SHAP values, uh, sort of what I use to check feature importances, um, to see like, well, one first I, I check uh, do these things survive like my uh, feature selection. I, I use a, a sort of a combination oh, okay. of Baruta and a few other things. Um, so first I just look like, hey, what's actually Surviving feature selection, Um, and
0: like how many how many features usually make it anything out of like
1: the. So for the for the individual like player for the like the free throw for the box score metrics like not that many Um, you know those like three hundred seventy tend to get whittled down to like twenty. Okay. Cool. uh, And. But on the other hand, for something like DPM, which is like the you know the the Darko SPM uh, that, that I use for that, it, that one ends up being like very feature hungry, and it ends up like accepting like a hundred features, hundred and twenty features, or something like silly. Oh
0: wow! Beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Um, nice. So someone else asked James at Jimbo Exotic said, what's the seasonality effect here? So I th- I think I posted a meme about this or something that said that there's some seasonality effect in darko. Uh what is that?
1: Yeah, so you know the, the one of the one of the things that darko uh does is you know, I strip out um changes in league context. Um So you know, I look at what what uh, the three point percentage is in the league like today when I'm sort of assessing your performance. Um, And uh, you know, when when Darko does all of its stuff, uh, all of its feature engineering and uh, ultimate modeling, it's really actually doing everything relative to league average. Um,
0: And to do that, to do that, I go ahead. Sorry, what was that? League average, everything like you have a league average rebounds per hundred and stuff like that. Like every yeah, exactly.
1: Stat. Yeah. yeah, every stat has a a, a league average estimate, um, and you know, in some ways it's like the same modeling problem because uh, it's like, well, if the league average free throw percentage after ten games is like really low, do I assume that's the that's the true talent for the league, or is you know how do I balance that against the history of the league? Um, and so, essentially, I'm creating a model uh, for for how to balance them. I'm, I lean pretty heavily on the Facebook profit package for this. Okay. Um, but one of the other things this lets me do is it lets me capture sort of in season seasonality, which means um, basketball players essentially, if for lack of a better term, they play they start the season sloppy. Uh, there's like fewer assists, more turnovers. The game is played faster paced. Uh, early in the season, and sort of like slows down, assists go up, turnovers go down, shooting goes up uh, as the season goes on, um, and so Darko accounts for that as well in the in-season seasonality. Um, so, I, so those factors sort of increase, and there's an expectation that they'll continue to increase, uh, you know, based on some kind of regular pattern. Um, and then one of the cool things I've seen there, um, probably my, one of my favorite findings on the uh, seasonality stuff is I, start, I started noticing there were these like weird dips uh, when, when, when looking at the charts. It's not just like some kind of like log curve or, or something as it approaches the league average or the, or the final season average. There was like a dip around February I was seeing every year. Um, and the answer is the, the all-star break. Uh, you know, my internal like mechanism that I, I account for I account for it is that players, you know, it's like ten days off, seven days off, and players are coming back rusty. Um, and you really see for like two or three games after the All Star break, uh, assist rates are down, turnovers are up. Um, it's like a total reset uh,
0: to the beginning of the year, uh, which is kind of kind of fun. Yeah, it's really crazy how that stuff is like actually borne out in the data, kind of like. What like a non-thinking, like non-analytical fan would say uh, about what's going on is like it, it's cool that's actually born out in the data. Um,
1: so, so yeah, like I mean, I'm I'm just applying my own interpretations as to like that it's
0: sloppiness, uh,
1: but it does sort of match common sense. Right, right,
0: exactly. Um, so say you're predicting someone's like points again for for today, like your estimate from the gradient boost like GBM gradient boosted tree is like how much above league average they are and then you add that onto the league average number or is it that like the league average is a feature in predicting the
1: no it's a good it's a good question I've thought about doing it sort of as a feature um and I should probably do it that way at some point I get I've gotten like weird results when I do that I'm literally just doing an additive model I strip out league average. So I, I, the first step is I calculate the league average, uh, for every stat. And then I just subtract that from every player's performance. Um, and then, you know, I do all this feature engineering. I adjust for opposition. I do the common filter, the exponential decay, yada, yada. And I have some kind of like estimate of like how much better or worse a, a player is than league average. And then I add back, I add that league average back in.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that like, um, thinking about making these predictions from like a top down standpoint, like you're, you're literally like the, the seasonality stuff seems like just a proxy for like what's actually happening on the court. Like I imagine if you had the most granular tracking data or something, like you would have more of a, you'd have like you'd be able to explain with data the rustiness and stuff a little bit better maybe but i guess it's like we don't yeah, have access I... to that data, and it's just like empirically true that there's kind of this pattern throughout the season but i wonder like that pattern must be coming from somewhere too right like if we had maybe like the speed or load data on players like if you had the most granular stats would you even need any of the seasonality stuff
1: yeah i, I think that that's Right, that it, it. If I had like super granular data, I, I would need it less and less. And you know, I've I've already run into a little bit of that issue, of like with with COVID. You know, if you, if you don't know the Facebook profit package, it's like a like a three line time series forecasting package. But it like yes, tried, so it pays attention um, it pays attention to the date, which like works pretty well until COVID causes all sorts of havoc with like. The season now starts at christmas instead of in october Uh, um and hey there's never been a game in august before (laughs) like uh what like so it's trying to like index to the literal calendar date and it's like that that process turned out to be less robust uh during covid because the season's like being messed around uh so i had to do do like a pretty big rewrite to sort of Tamp down the importance of of the profit package and of sort of like slowly in the process of actually phasing it out entirely in favor of other uh, other more direct model modeling approaches to like capture these issues rather than sort of the one stop shop of profit.
0: Got it. Um, I've like messed around with profit a little bit. It seems really cool for like the time series stuff, but um, I guess yeah, what you brought up is like a pretty big issue with it. Does it literally just do like time series fitting or like can you put in like other features or something
1: you can yeah so i have like features for the the all-star break or like christmas um so you can you can put in external regressors um and so you know right right now i am actually using external regressors uh with it and those external regressors are like trying to capture some of this other stuff of like what rather than, is it just October? It's like, here's how many possessions have been played so far this season uh, by mm-hmm. this by this like team. Um, so I'm trying to like push it, uh, give it the features that I think are actually sort of more directly explaining uh, the underlying system. Um, yeah, so- I think in happened- the long run, I'll just, just I'll, in the long run, I'll probably just remove profit and just strip it out and honestly just do another gradient boosted uh <laughs> model yeah, so like to yeah. predict it That's sort yeah. of like if i'm doing all this feature engineering and like if you feature generation um it's like in some ways the uh, the virtue of the one-stop shop
0: of profits is sort of being lost right i wonder if if and when you do strip it out if you'll still have that like see that trend line where it you know gets sloppier after the all-star break or Start the season sloppy, like. Well, I mean, I think that's a real
1: effect. That's like yeah, that's not just
0: profit, right? Like. Right. But do you encode so. that into some gradient boosted tree, or like, would would you expect the tree to kind of figure that out, like? Well, hopefully, yeah. I mean, if if the tree can't figure it out, then I'm not going to swap out the model. Like the, <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that I can like code features that'll let the tree figure out like the this underlying system. I'm hopefully not going to move to it until I can. You know, replicate those uh, that that functionality pretty well. Yeah, that makes Um, sense. And I had like an issue this year. Um, I think we were we were talking about of like, what do you do with the the rule changes? Um, You know, where essentially they told the refs to like do a good job this year. I, I was very skeptical that that would work. I didn't think you could tell the refs to like call a good game, uh, and they would just do it. But it turned out they could for for at least like a minute. Um, and so like Darko, Darko was just like all wrong. Uh, I think I was predicting like way too many uh, fouls early in the year. For like the first like twelve or thirteen games in a row, um, the model was just like kept guessing way too high. Um, which is, you know, does not happen normally. It doesn't miss that by, by that much consistently in one direction. It should like update, uh, but it's just, I couldn't update fast enough. Uh, and that was like one of the signs that there was like something real going on it, that it was not just noise, you know, because the model is like fit to the prior variance that it's observed over the last, you know, 24 years. And the prior variance that it was observa- observed, like totally did not prepare it for what happened early this season.
0: Yeah this yeah this real change in like covid in the last couple of years have been good like real world challenge for um you know these models or yeah anyone modeling any sport so would you so when you saw that did you go like oh i want to make a code change to darko to like yeah count so i spent a, yeah. any future like weird shifts or is it kind of like oh i'm going to like slap on this coefficient somewhere cuz it's empirically correct.
1: No, no I, I did not do that. I, I, uh, I, I really tried to get to sort of modeling the underlying system a little more, um, and so I, I just I did a lot more like trailing and lag, uh, trailing and lagging, and again in exponentially decayed features um, that I'm passing as external reg- regressors to to profit to like tell it. Um, you know, profit is like a univariate model. It it sees um, the his- the the history of you know free throws per hundred attempts, but it's it's not uh, unlike what Darko does. Um, it, it doesn't have access to the other. It doesn't see that like um,
0: turnovers
1: are, are, are up or something. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was
0: actually trying to ask earlier about if Profit could have other features. So yeah.
1: Okay. So it's univariate. So no. It's univariate by default. You need to like do a decent amount of work to pass those additional other things on. It's it's like it, it pretty easily will take uh, like additional regressors like events, like if there's a holiday or something. Um, but in order to pass like multiple um, multiple like y variables, that
0: that takes like a lot more work to do. I see. Okay. Yeah, so this this rule change thing was like a big shift. Um, You're saying that with like the different types of trailing and like lagging exponential features, like if another shift like this were to happen, like how do you think Darko would react?
1: Well, my hope is that, yeah, I've like tried to make the model a little bit more... Flexible is the wrong word because that, uh, that 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 makes it gonna kind of sound like it's gonna maybe over be overreactive. Um, making to make the model sort of more robust by add, by like adding additional features. It could sort of like tell if you know this you know this feature is like pointing that there's some, like rule change going on potentially. Um, so yeah. the hope is that I've made it more robust, but it's tough to to really like test until we get another. <laughs> rule change yeah exactly um, but I, I I was able to like get it to you know after these changes that i did and like none of them were like really directed purely at the free throw issue it was like only high it was only uh, only overestimated 10 of the first 13 games or something which was like fine i'll, I'll take it
0: yeah that makes sense I, I was gonna say like it's always gonna kind of be lagging if there's no human input Yeah,
1: uh, and like to some degree, I just ate that. Uh, I I wanted it to be like not like three standard deviations off, and I was like settled for like one.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I had some of those similar issues when modeling stuff early this season. Um, I guess I could have just watched some more basketball games and realized that like something real was going on. Uh, well, I mean, it's you, that's, the issue is like you you watch the games and you see something real is going
1: on, but then you still need to like put a number on it. Of right. do I put a hundred percent value on what I've seen so far? Because uh, I that would have been overreactive at some point. Like the refs, you know, <laughs> gave in. Or, I mean, I don't know. It's a dynamic game. Maybe Harden learned to adjust. But I think at this point, I think I saw Harden's like uh, free throw rate is higher than his career average or something. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> like it it's swung back a lot um so that's the thing like you just watch and like say oh it, you, you say you say like oh there's something uh qualitatively different i'm going to throw the model out entirely you're going to end up like in a bad place too um
0: yeah definitely um yeah i wouldn't want to throw it out but i guess like a model with no human in the loop is always going to be like wagging a little bit or yeah. maybe there would be some false positives where it does overreact. Like maybe that's good or correct, because I don't know. Um Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at parts. Seems, right like seems like it'd be wrong if the model would would always be slow to react to like things. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean
1: yeah, I, I think in the abstract a model should sometimes be slow, sometimes be fast. Uh you know, the issue is like essentially telling it that there's been a rule change. Um and I think maybe it, maybe if if we have enough long enough history of these, like we can sort of like feed in a dummy variable of like there's been a rule change. Oh, um, yeah. But even that's even that's like kind of messy because it's like well there's a rule change this year, but then you know at some point either the refs stopped caring about it because it's like a point of emphasis. It's not an actual like change. Yeah. It's, um Like do I say as okay, as of Christmas, the world changes over. Like, I don't
0: know. Uh, you right, can't really tell from okay like, that, too. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, kind, you uh, kind of have to. Uh, yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, all right, someone asked, uh, at dquin1575 asked about aging. Um, are you building an improvement for guys under 26 or you know, whatever number and decay in older players?
1: Uh, yeah, um, so th- there is an there is an aging component. Um, it, what, this is like not as big a deal for for Darko as it is for a lot of models, though, because Darko is already sort of like trained up through the very last day. So most of the time, I'm like building in a single day of, day of aging, um, which is like not that big a deal. Um, This is in contrast to like you know if you're with baseball or something you know you've got data through September and then a player you know has six months or or four months I you know can't actually do the math until uh, March or April when baseball starts but uh, you know there's like there's a much bigger time time jump Um, so most of the time like there's there is a tiny amount of aging that I'm building in but it's like essentially negligible. yeah during the off season there is like a a pretty big chunk of aging that's being built in
0: um but you that's also... built in, like like a you have a feature for age or yeah um
1: it's it's not well it's it's not a feature it's a feature it's a feature built directly into the sort of exponential decay and Kalman uh, filters that I'm doing I'm like around with some some stuff there to to give boosts based around age um mm-hmm. and I, I rather than adding as an external feature into LightGBM, gbm I'm actually like altering the underlying darko features that way
0: nice nice how do you make that decision just kind of what feels right or yeah and this this is yeah this is uh hey you know I add
1: in the things that that seem to make sense so i I have stuff for aging I have some some stuff for um if you're if you change teams um or if your coach changes i like essentially move uh, regress your features towards the mean um somewhat and you know i solve for how much to do that by uh there's a few other things like that i'm doing to sort of futz around a little bit with uh the underlying features. so it's not you know i described it earlier as this like waiting system of like x to the power of days ago uh, so I just need to solve for x, but actually you know, I'm actually solving for like 30 or 40 uh, uh, parameters within there. Oh wow, okay, got it. A lot of those are are like uh, square uh, square looks like for the aging an in, in aging curve. You'll typically have like a a linear parameter and the square parameter, so uh, and then an intercept. Um, so there's like when I say thirty or forty, you know, it's not I'm not actually tracking thirty or forty external regressors that way. I'm,
0: you know, some of those are just coefficients in um, a
1: non-linear model.
0: I see. Okay, that's interesting. So how does the off-season work? I guess that just kind of works, right? Or yeah. Uh, so one of the that,
1: that was one of the questions. Like, do, should I have like you know, I've got this exponential decay approach um you know suppliers have like you know 150 days or something in between the season do i need any kind of additional change to like uh you know a season flag um and i fussed around with that and i did not get much value out of like a season change flag um once i had the rest of this sort of this uh, team change flag and coach change flag um the, the value of just like the 150 days was already sort of capturing the majority of it. So right now I'm actually not using a season change flag. Uh, maybe I should revisit that, but I like wasn't seeing much value from it.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that's, that's pretty cool, right? Cause that's like capturing kind of the underlying like change over time rather than using like the uh, arbitrary like season cutoffs, so yeah
1: exactly it's like you know why 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 is a new season important because it's like time has gone on the player may have changed teams they may have changed contexts so it's like the more i can sort of quantify the underlying what's actually changing the underlying system rather than just using this like proxy of like well a lot of stuff happens in the off season yeah exactly
0: better. exactly that's super cool um let's see what other what other darko questions do we have here um a friend asked me to ask you, uh, how good is Darko for defense? Um, defense is kind of notoriously hard to measure for basketball um, just because, you know, there's pretty much only blocks and steals and maybe rebounds um, that are traditionally in box score data. So yeah. what do you think here?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I've got like pretty rich box score data where, you know, I'm sorry, I'm using um, a lot of data from like PvP uh, stats. Um, so I've got like goal 10s in there. 10s are pretty valuable, it turns out. Uh, it's it's valuable in a gradient boosted model. And so far as they tell the player has a lot of goal 10s, it tells mm-hmm. you his blocks are like not very valuable. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that it's like, you know, blocks are serving as a proxy for. You know, rim protection, and maybe if you're getting a lot of gold tens, maybe it's like not a very good proxy in your case. Uh, you <laughs> who are we like talking about of, here? You know, you, you know who I'm talking about. It's like well, Hassan Whiteside, like sort of graded like pretty terrible uh, for that reason. Um, there's a couple other guys. I think Drummond also got dinged that way. Um, so, you know, so I, I've got some, some more box score stats. But the other thing I'm doing is I'm using. Uh, on-off data. I've got a lot of like, um, you know, your you're plus-minus data, your on-off data, um, and that that is driving the bustle in a lot of ways, especially on the defensive end. Uh, so like the Darko, the Darko SPM, uh, the, the output, um, you know, I think it's I think it's like a pretty good stat, and I think it's a sort of a as good or better uh, at, in terms of a predictive stat um as anything anything else in the public space uh but essentially like X P I P M, which is like jacob goldstein's old model um of like a combination of box score stats and your on-off data uh can sort of like do a pretty good job approximating R A P M.
0: yeah yeah i've yeah it's always weird to me that all these like spms are, are still fit on R A P M. like we kind of treat RAPM as like some sort of standard, even though we know that like there are issues with it, like even like long-term RAPM, right? Um, And it's like, you know, RAPM came out, whatever, over 10 years ago. And it's like the the cutting edge uh, public analytics is still, you know, like uh, heavily using RAPM or like still in the RAPM paradigm. yeah I mean as a bachelor it, like it kind of bothers north. me a little bit, but also kind of like I guess it's just the way it is like that's how you measure this sport um, yeah i I don't know i mean I, I
1: i hear what you're saying um but I do kind of think like if you're just using long long enough term r a p m and then i I also use uh, a time decayed version of it um as sort of my target variable um that like does deal with some of those issues um
0: kind of yeah and I I was I was talking about this with a friend the other day and it's like RAPM is like in theory kind of inferior to like APM if you had like enough games and like coaches played really like diverse rotations and stuff right like the the ridge regression part of RAPM like it pulls all the weights toward zero, but like it's obvious that that's not the correct thing to do. So like RAPM is already this measurement that's like, it, it like I you know, need you need know I disagree right.
1: here. Always ridge
0: regress. Yeah, you, know, you shouldn't
1: literally never never do uh, linear regression. It's always ridge
0: because it's yeah, like okay ridge yes, but you're ridge regressing to like zero, right? You're basically saying the prior for every every player is zero. And like, anyone can tell you that's wrong. You
1: sure, know? yeah, but uh, but it's sort of in the in the scenario you laid out, like where if you have enough possessions and like your possessions are diverse enough, uh, you know, if you run that ridge regression, your your like lambda is just going to end up being very very low, right? Yes, yeah, so you're fair. Gonna,
0: you're, okay. you're going to sort
1: of get to the same place as your APM, like yes, a well fit RAPM APM should sort of strictly dominate an APM, right? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I. I think that's right. Um, But then, like, in theory, like, if you just knew, like, five players in the NBA, like, LeBron, Curry, like, whoever is good, and, like, you made them get regressed not to zero, like, do RAPM, but instead of pulling everyone towards zero, you pull everyone but those five to zero and, like, pull those guys to, like, two. Would that RAPM be better than, like, just – a non-human adjusted one. Yeah, no, that that's no? a that's a good question. I think it probably would be. Um, right. So and, then like, and, I think that's like the flaw, right? When you get there it's like, oh man, a human trivially improves RAPM.
1: Yeah, so I I've, I've kind of played around with this, uh kind of getting at this this issue a little bit of like you know, I think everyone fits their their SPM to some kind of time not time decade, but long term RAPM. Um, but maybe you should be fitting it to like a, a prior-informed RAPM that's sort of like you, like you described something that's pulling priors towards like pulling LeBron towards plus five because it's prior-informed by his box stats. Um, and kind of like I, to my knowledge, nobody's doing that at least nobody in the public has written that up. Are um, mm-hmm. you going like that? Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> yes. uh, Would you gonna like take this as a thought experiment? uh and so it's so, okay you you fit your your spm to a prior informed rapm rate um but then now you can sort of like do this recursively yeah. uh yeah. <laughs> where okay now you have a better prior because you have this new spm um so now you can fit you know, like a, a even better prior informed, then you can like fit another SPM on top of that. Yeah. And I, I I think this should actually work. I, I have never actually done it. It seems like too much of a pain. Yeah. Um. But it, but I do kind of think each additional iteration should have like you know, presumably diminishing returns, but there should be returns there.
0: Maybe yeah. It's it's kind of interesting to think about because at the first SPM you fit though is still to like a. To like the regress to zero version, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I guess yeah. If you do it iterative, iteratively, like what happens? Uh, I don't know. If that's a good question. What have you like? Has I wonder if anyone's tried fitting like long term or try to fit like box score stuff to like long term APM? Or do you think that's just straight up wrong because of what you said about ridge always being better?
1: My my instinct is if you fit you end up you'll you'll end up just everything getting like pretty regressed when you fit your spm uh because that that long-term apm is still just so noisy um so then your whatever estimator you're you're fitting with the spm is just going to be like well i don't know what to what to make of this stuff and we'll we'll just regress everyone to the mean too heavily one of the early iterations of darko um i like did not i i was sort of faced with this issue where I, I didn't want to fit to RAPM in part because I didn't have all the right RAPM data, uh, so I fit it to like daily plus minus, um, which <laughs> yeah, is like yeah, adjusted. I yeah. yeah. It was like adjusted. I was adjusting for like a, the opponent, uh, so it's like a, a opponent adjusted, but it wasn't even like teammate adjusted, and it was just like a, it was it was just like a mess. It was like, you know, some of the values look good, but it, it was like a junk stat, and I was like, okay. Uh, I, I i gotta not reinvent the wheel i just gotta do whatever else does. <laughs> uh, yeah cool. that's that's fast like too clever uh, by half
0: no i mean that that's like a good thought i think like if everyone is just trying to build the spm on rapm like we're not we're getting nowhere um so yeah i'm surprised though that um it turned out to be like totally bad i guess like what well, I-
1: I, I, I it was it was
0: ahead of time that would be necessarily bad because it's just like oh you have so many samples like maybe you end up just learning something but I guess yeah i mean that's what i that's what i
1: thought that it's like look i'm training on like 20 years of box score data i've got you know 800 thousand rows um it should it should sort of like sort itself out uh and i was just not really getting that result um right it was especially like in particular, I'm remembering right now it was like really, really collinear on team teams. So like everyone on the Bucks, like the top like nine players were all, all guys on the Bucks or something. Like that. <laughs> Whoops. Yep.
0: <laughs> you know that's wrong. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, hmm. So I guess yeah, collinear. I was thinking like garbage time would affect a lot of stuff. I guess maybe there's not that much garbage time or all cancels out.
1: Yeah, a garbage time. Uh, there's I feel like the garbage time issue is a little oversold. Uh, garbage time sort of cancels out. There's not that much of it. Um, garbage time has value. Uh, you know, this is like a famous Ken Palm result that if you like just cap uh, wins at 20 points, um, your model will like perform worse than if you don't cap if you. Don't cap wins at 20 points. And if you cap wins at 30 points, your model will still perform worse than an uncapped model. Like <laughs> winning by 50 really is more important than winning by 30. Uh, you know, it's like progressively less and less important. You know, there, there is sort of uh, a value there. And, you know, you can come up with sort of elegant garbage time weightings. Um, but just like tossing garbage time, my instinct is you're actually worse off than that. Uh, um, For sure. Yeah, that, yeah. I feel like. D- no, don't like Don't toss data. Yeah, don't toss data. like downweight it, but don't toss it. Like you,
0: you should almost never toss data. Yeah. So how would you downweight it? So like I think one really cool thing about PVP stats is they're like leverage filters. Um so like I, I think he puts it into four categories or something, three maybe, four, um, of like how high leverage uh possession is would you ever think about weighting box score metrics not only by like that like the time decay but kind of a leverage uh yeah it it, it sort of
1: gets a little bit into stuff that i i'm gonna say is non-public um but i am I, i am doing some of that with my time decay RAPM, where i'm actually like layering in a wind probability model, and it's sort of affecting some of the outputs there um, to sort of capture capture that issue. Um, nice. nice. Yeah. At I was a high...
0: say that. Oh, go ahead.
1: I was going to say at a high level, like the the approach that works uh, well uh, that was sort of proposed by I can't remember. I want to see, uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, was it was essentially to. Um, downweight uh garbage times uh, by some kind of again exponent so it's margin of victory to the power of k uh, where k is like between 0 and 1 um so you would like downweight down uh the margin of victory or the the game level plus minus uh by some exponent so it's like instead of a a 30 point win counting for 30 you would multiply you would take it to the power of like 0. 0.8 or something and so you're mm-hmm. downweighting it a little bit um, and you can do that the same with a player's individual, you know, like their plus minus or they're on off. Yeah,
0: yeah, I guess um, yeah, that makes sense. If you uh, want to do you could do it at the box score level too. Um,
1: I yeah, I, I've sort of like made some design design decisions in Darko where I don't want. I, I want to keep it at sort of the game box level, where I don't. <laughs> yeah. um, this is somewhat of a data pipeline issue, where I, my play-by-play data source is like not super robust and could sort of go away at any moment. Uh, so I have, have intentionally avoided sort of building any dependencies that really rely on true play-by-play data. Um, like, I'm using a play-by-play data as a training set, but I don't want it to be an input necessarily um, for, for Darko.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think, yeah, if if you're building something like this, there's no way you really see force, like there's no way you foresee that you're going to ever want stuff at like purely the possession level, right? Because I think if I were to rebuild all my like NBA analytics data pipelines, like I'd probably just have the box scores derived from play-by-play. Like I wouldn't... Yeah. uh, Yeah, yeah. everything would just be yeah
1: I, I think that's right like i really what i should do again and this is maybe i'm running into my my lack of uh, computer science background but like you know daryl blackport's made you know, pvp stats.com is available but he's got he's made the underlying package available uh that he uses to parse with and you know that package is a little bit of a hassle to work with but yeah like that that package uh, you know he's doing his own parsing um on the fly, and so like if I could move to just control uh, using that package uh, internally, and then I have like total control over my data, so long as I have a PVP uh, like JSON from NBA.com every day, and then I kind of don't need like any other sites. Right, right, exactly.
0: Yeah, um, I I pretty much I only take from the NBA stats site. I'm just so paranoid, probably overly paranoid about other stuff going away.
1: No I I think I, I I was really really uh careful initially when building out Darko and like I did not want to use pvp stats for that reason because it's like daryl's done done amazing work but like what if he gets bored running that site uh and just like it goes offline and then i have to like build a new data pipeline um and then in fact initially this season he daryl's like i'm bored with the nba i don't know how much longer <laughs> pvp stats will be around <laughs> like it was the exact nightmare scenario um and you know, he stuck around thank god uh and like everyone should go subscribe to <laughs> Yeah, uh, his patreon um <laughs> like he's doing your basic stuff but it's it, it it does sort of make for a more fragile system
0: totally um all right we have one more we've we have more twitter questions but here this one's relevant now um at luke Connolly O two 2 says what slash is there a floor frequency that costa feels comfortable with for component measurements with the combo common slash padding approach eg how does he feel about especially granular data like left block post ups turning away from the basket compared to something like three point attempts so i guess i i think what he's trying to ask is like if you had box score data on like just say like post ups uh but it's kind of like there's not many of them per game like would that work in this uh Would that work in this Darko framework, like predicting the number of post-ups tomorrow for a player?
1: Yeah, I I think it would be, you know, predicting the number of post-ups tomorrow. Like, yeah, I mean, there would be a projection and I don't know how meaningful it would be. Maybe just predicting, like, uh, I don't have a good... Idea of how many post-ups there are in a game. So I'll I'll, I'll do the same example with like double doubles, uh, <laughs> which are like much uh, not that not that common. Of like you know you I, you might have like a pretty low projection, but I bet you there's still value to the feature um, that it's like if a guy going back to post-ups, if a guy is posting up like you know twice a game versus one time a game um even if it's like fairly uh fairly sparse, I suspect. Uh I suspect there'd be value to it and if there's not, and if it's just like so noisy that there's not, I you know, I think the the internal weighting that I have would just sort of regress everyone to, to average and the feature would then eventually just drop out.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think you know, if box scores just had more columns, I think it feels like any of them would really work in Darko. But...
1: Yeah, I mean, Darko, I, I will say like uh, the Darko, one of the things I'm proud of is that it's like, it is it, it is built in a very extensible way that is is like very robust where, um, I, I don't have all the all this stuff like live, but you know, like again, Daryl Blackport's, you know, it's like tracking like, you know, 350 box score stats. I've like hand selected uh, like 85 of them uh, to like feed in, but you know, I could feed them all in. Uh, There's actually no reason I couldn't use every single one of them. Uh, And then I think I've got a pretty robust approach where feeding in a bunch of like collinear stats or like junk stats, those stats would just uh, get internally regressed very very heavily and then like they would fall out at the feature selection step um and it's it's like extensible to any kind of like box score data anything anything happens at a daily level it, t- it would take like almost no work uh to to add in additional features the only thing i need to do is i need to figure out uh what the appropriate uh denominator is i need to like parse uh, each each stat has like a sample weight. I need to like figure out what's the appropriate sample weight for like pick and roll possessions or something. Um, but uh, it, I, i'm I'm sort of like not too worried about adding too many features because uh, I think the the pipeline that I've got sort of built up will will sort of keep me from adding
0: nonsense features. Yeah, that's pretty elegant. It's pretty beautiful. Um, what are the what are the goals and motivations for Darko? Like, what's next? Um, I see that you've done some of these like player career longevity charts. Um, like, what else is on your on your plate or in your head about like extending upon what we have here? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would, I want to do
1: more long term projections. So I've got the the longevity stuff. Um, that that was uh born out of an attempt to i was like trying to do some projecting next five years next ten years outcomes for players um and i started like fighting with uh survivorship bias issues which i presume everyone's familiar with but like you know you run into an issue that if you look at like the sample of players at age like 37 they might be like better than the sample of players at age thirty six. So, like, are players improving? Like, uh, between thirty six <laughs> and thirty seven, probably not. It's just like your <laughs> bad players are retiring, and you're left with like more and more LeBron possessions. Um, so the survivorship bias is like, you know, it's it's a huge issue. It's ever present uh, in sports stats. And so I was like chatting with a friend of like uh, again the same same guy who who in the fantasy baseball league with uh it's got dan rosenhack who is, is like a, a frighteningly smart uh, guy and i asked him like so what you know how do you recommend dealing with the survivorship bias problem you know because he's, he's got a lot of experience in sports modeling and you know there, there's different approaches people use people some people use artificial data they'll like continue continue projecting players who fall out of the league and they'll just like apply a little bit of an artificial aging curve onto them. But that gets like circular. It's like, you're, I'm trying to calculate the aging curve and then I need to presume an aging curve for players who have retired. And anyway, so I like, was kicking around all these ideas and there's a bunch of literature, but you know, Dan was just like, well, just don't model. Uh, d- don't deal with survivorship bias. Uh, just like model it explicitly, model the probability that a player is gonna survive. And then model aging conditional on survival. Um, and it's just like so much more elegant and d- d- again, doesn't lead to these sort of opinionated decisions about what's the best way to like solve the survivorship bias problem. Um, so I can just like lean into these very sort of like optimistic uh, evaluations of what a player is going to look like um at age 35 36 but that they're optimistic because it's like well i've got a separate survivorship model that tells me you know shangun is like 98 percent of a trip out of the league by then uh so it's fine that if i'm projecting i'm projecting to be a hall of fame talent guy at age 35 36 um so that's a long way of saying my next thing is to the next thing i want to do is the sort of longer term evaluation stuff i want to Project both box stats and like DPM kind of stuff. Uh, longer term, um, I've got the survivorship bias stuff built. The, the other stuff is sort of taking a little longer, but uh, that is in the work.
0: Nice from a high at a high level, like how you're just looking at age, I assume, in current DPM and. Uh, yeah, no, cool. well, I, know, I mean,
1: so the, the the other nice thing about Darko is, like I said, it's this giant feature generation engine. And in some ways, like, it's just, a, I've got a feature store of like, you know, these 85 features, the common features, the derivatives. So I've got like a feature store of like 350 features available. And then I just sort of, I can just select whatever target variable I want and run oh, through. Nice. Um, run through my feature selection and then you know let like gbm do its thing um and so it's, it's like i don't need to do any additional feature generation because uh, i've got these features which already sort of capture you know snapshots of where the player's history is um in a given stat and i don't need to worry about like You know, the normal way to do time series stuff is create a bunch of lag features of like, look at the last 10 days, last 30 days, last 50 days. And you need to like, every time you do a new model, you need to make a new decision about like, what's the most appropriate set of lag features. Um, So like, again, the the, the approach with Darko is like pretty robust and I kind of like don't need to do that. I, I need to do all this like kind of insane amount of work up front uh to fit the daily model but then to fit the survivorship model i'm using all those same features when i fit the future value model i'm using all those same features it's just like i've got you know eventually four lines of code that sort of like pick out uh, here's like all the possible features to run through and then like go, go select the best ones
0: nice so is it saying are you basically predicting like what is shangun's DPM going to be when he's 35?
1: Yeah, so I'm predicting yeah, what is D- DPM is gonna be. I've I've also tried to do it occasionally as like um what it's what is his salary is gonna be. Uh sort of like trying to figure I'm sort of futzing around with what's the the best uh the best target uh variable um
0: how do you predict like uncertainty bounds on that kind of stuff or do you just rely on having the other model that's like probability of being in the league still
1: well so uh yeah i mean i've got one model for probability of being in the league and that has error bars around it um and then all of my estimates of like what shangun is going to be like a 28 29 30 are conditional on him still being in the league um, and then the uncertainty around that you know I, I mentioned I use light GBM but I've also spent a lot of time on you know using ng boost which is uh, natural gradient boosting which sort of the same same idea as uh, light GBM for you know for people who don't know but uh, creates a an estimate of uncertainty along the way um, it, it's a lot slower and sort of more annoying to use in some ways, but uh, it, it matches the sort of the performance of LightGBM in my testing, um, but also gives you an estimate of uncertainty. And there's a couple other packages that are, are that do this uh, sort of an emerging space in the last couple of years.
0: Um, yep, and you're on there requesting sample weights from all of them. <laughs> that is uh, that is in fact what I am doing. Uh, one of the
1: uh, there's a new one that just popped. That's like this vaporware package. Uh, this guy like dropped this idea of like you know extending uncertainty estimates to xgboost. He, he dropped a uh, he dropped a package, and then the package had no code inside of it. And he's like, but he had like a paper. Uh, with, with just no code. And He's like, I'm gonna make it. Release it. I spent two years in like he spent two years in like the GitHub issues. On, like, XGBoost, CatBoost, LightGBM. I'm talking about it, but like, there's no code. People are just like going nuts. But then, like three weeks ago, he we dropped the code. Uh, I never thought it would happen. I thought it was like total vaporware. But oh, done. it's real.
0: Okay. It's real. Yeah. It, it's it's like all it's
1: he dropped that one and he dropped the LightGBM one. So there's like there's a lot of stuff happening in this space right now.
0: What's that one called? Or what's this dude? Who is this guy?
1: Uh, I don't know. He's Alexander Mars. I guess you know, like some German guy. Um, but, you know turns out it was real uh it's like xg boost lss or something um, okay. if you follow my github stars you'll, you'll like see it in there
0: <laughs> oh yeah i'll just i'll come through the those things after this um cool besides okay so besides the the long-term career stuff are you doing daily game predictions do you use it to bet play fantasy daily fantasy any of that kind of stuff
1: yeah, so when I first did, the first year I did Darko, I was actually generating daily fantasy projections every day. Um, you know, it was, re- cause I, you know, Darko is basically, a, fundamentally a box score projection system. Uh, and, you know, I'm projecting minutes, and then I'm projecting box score stats, uh, I can project like, well, so and so is going to hit sort of seven, you know, gonna score seven points or hit two threes, whatever. Um, so it's like a pretty natural dfs uh tool and so i was generating dfs lineups there's like there's a, a package uh you know to sort of run through when you're optimizer to pick the best DraftKings lineup or whatever and I, I was generating those um and i actually bet them pretty hard uh and like did did really well um but then i did some like analysis and sort of like reading I just concluded my, my results were total noise and I, I essentially came to the conclusion that like DFS the way I was playing it was not not a beatable game um, like DFS is, is is beatable I presume but you gotta like be doing a lot of meta game stuff of like trying to understand uh, you know,' trying to guess what what lineups other people are using and like stay away from popular from popular lineups without costing yourself too many points or something. And, and I just like concluded that my own internal results were just like ran incredibly hot in retrospect. Um, and I did not want to get deep into those metagame aspects. they're they're time consuming and you know I'm, I'm, they're interesting, but sort of like not the modeling problem
0: I want to work on um totally but i do yeah. want to i think that's the right i think that's the right read on d uh like dfs too is just um there's so many sets of per like box score projections out there and like you know if you're three or five percent better or something like it doesn't make up for the fact that you're not like in the streets of dfs like predicting who's going to you know, who's going to have high ownership and all that kind of stuff. I feel like that
1: really matters. Uh, yeah, I, I think that stuff is huge, especially for like the GPPs. is um, yeah. that like having the best projections is nice, but it's just like, right. Nice. Especially linear
0: optimizer also doesn't take into account the variance around the stats too. So like,
1: yeah. Yeah. It, you know, so like early on <laughs> also this
0: early on, like a couple daily
1: fantasy sites approached uh, approached me uh, about like, Hey, uh, we're interested in Using uh, Darko, Darko for this, this thing or that thing. Like they mostly wanted like peripheral outputs from Darko, and you know I had all these results, and I think I still got them up on the Darko site showing like my, my box score projections are better than yours. Why don't you want the underlying box score projections? And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we just don't think that's that important for the product. Like <laughs> it, it's like not what these DFS sites are like selling. Um, but, like, what do they, they want? want they wanted the minutes projections uh because i I had i had spent a lot of time on automated minutes projections uh were like i thought pretty good and they wanted them essentially as like a labor savings tool uh of like they they had some intern who was spending uh you know three hours every day going through every every lineup and adjusting the minutes and they wanted like the darko projections as like a baseline um and so they they, they were, they were viewed, viewing it as like a cost savings thing, and they like had no interest in the, you know, it, you know that the results showing that's like my my projections are two percent better than yours. And like th- it's not that they denied it; uh, we, they just had no interest. They, they we didn't like. Uh, we didn't stress test it. They, they were just like not interested. And I, I don't think they're wrong to not be interested. I think in retrospect, I was like a rube for thinking like having projections that are two percent better is important because um, it's like DFS is is about so many other things. And that um, you know, I, one of the things I think I, I think about a lot is this the DFS space. There's this guy like Osimo who yeah. has he's like the most successful or one of the most successful DFS players. Um, and you know he like sells his projections um or maybe even gives them away and like that's a pretty good indication you know maybe he's like lying and he's not giving away his real projections but i kind of don't think that's what's going on um i think that's like a pretty good indication that the the actual sharps you know like having the best quality projections is like not that valuable um, that he, yeah. means, he 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 considers it more valuable to sort of monetize on some kind of da- subscription than on keeping this this data uh, proprietary. Um, so again, that was like a good indication that Darko, while maybe interesting, is not the key to a winning DFS strategy.
0: Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, yeah, the the critique of that Osmo guy is like, why don't you just win <laughs> like instead of selling the uh the output well, i think but, he yeah. does win i think he's on he there i've seen like, sites that like show he's like <laughs> he is legitimately like one of the most successful guys so he's not releasing the stuff that matters which you know makes
1: sense um the, the other theory i heard about him I, I don't want to get too too afield, um but it's it's kind of a clever theory of like the you know oh, oh, like projecting ownership percentages is so important um mm-hmm. And that so maybe the his business is like, by releasing his projections, that improves um, improves the quality of his ownership projections because he is actually, he's driving the ownership. Yeah. Um, it's like he then, you, you know, he releases these projections that show, you know, Kawhi Leonard's an awesome play tonight. And then he knows like Kawhi is going to be more owned than he would have been otherwise. So then he yeah. like <laughs> takes Kawhi personally. And he's he's never like lying like he, we don't he doesn't need to be I'm really not accusing him of of anything nefarious it's I think it's actually like pretty clever if that if that is sort of the uh the rock paper scissors strategy essentially that he's taking um but I I'm, I'm really interested in what's going on but not enough to like dive deep into it from a modeling
0: perspective Yeah it's a little too far divorced from sports and basketball for yeah. me as well um cool. what about like so what about like single game predictions like the spread yes. the total that kind of stuff do you do that what yeah do so think? i gen- i
1: generate those i have spreads and totals and i think uh, you know darko was had spreads uh spreads up at the athletic in the playoffs uh last year and um i'm hoping to have that come back this year um when i generate those um in terms of betting them i bet them sometimes uh the i i've heard, sort of run into a time issue there where my my conclusion has been that to successfully bet spreads or totals you really got to be like meticulously tracking the injuries and tracking the line movement and really line shopping and you know i, I think there's a good chance like darko is like good enough uh, to beat the beat, beat the spread um it's sort of like my back testing, it does pretty well, but I, it's like would be so time consuming to do it uh, that I I find myself like not actually placing that many bets because it's like you really gotta be online a tip off and I you know I just have a job and I have a family. It's like tough to I can find time to do to do stuff at like 3 a.m. by not sleeping, but like it's tough to have definite time commitments to be around a tip off. Um, for that sort of stuff so I, I i like to generate those projections i like to test them it's a pretty good i find it to be a pretty good metric of like am i doing a good job uh it's sort of more squarely at the at the heart of what i'm trying
0: to achieve with darko
1: um so i, I think that stuff is really valuable but i am personally not placing a lot of those bets at least
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean i i look at darko for for my betting stuff um This leads to this question from my friend uh, at Sprott's Better. He said, what are times when the betting market made you recognize or reconsider specific flaws in Darko? Yeah, so the attention that you, you, uh, you get feedback, I guess, from the market
1: yeah I, I do i definitely pay enough attention for that and i think i was talking with you last year when this was happening like darko state of the nets uh for like 12 games in a row or something last year right
0: um, it was on portland every game this year or something <laughs> <laughs> I, I i didn't notice that about portland um uh, yeah, well, but same, uh, had an issue that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: um but like so w- You know, it was just like Darko was super low on Durant uh, in particular. Um, And there's there's a couple things going on there. Um, One, you know, just like famously, like various APM type stats are a little bit lower on Durant than other uh, stats. Um, Darko was also getting like tripped up by the Achilles injury, essentially. uh, Where... um, A a player's stats... um, will decay uh, over time because it's like i've got this exponential decay formula and so durant's like historic excellence in every stat had been decayed away by like 450 days off um and i actually i didn't have an explicit like achilles injury uh parameter but just like missing so much time caused him to get like regressed to the mean pretty heavily Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um and you know I, i like Basically, think that approach is correct uh, in the abstract. They're like, yeah, if if a player misses like a year and a half, like you should definitely expect them to be like probably not as good. You know, it's, it's like some guys come back 100%, um, but it's definitely not the norm. Uh, but just like ran into this issue where where Durant really did come back 100%, and just sort of like the issue we talked about earlier where the model just was like low on him for a long, long time. Uh as it sort of like took it took a while for it to catch up that like no he he's fine. Like no really he's fine. Uh and so after a while I just started overriding it in my own like uh betting. It's like, well, I know Darko says he's like a plus two guy, but I think he's probably closer to plus five or plus six or something.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I think yeah, it's usually these like weird edge cases. And like the rules change at the beginning of this year too, like it was hard to get totals to be the right ish number yeah. if you're not looking at the market. But I think like, um, uh, let's see. So, yeah, the so like, total that Durant
1: case, I, I actually with that Durant case though, I actually did do some like additional model underlying modeling to sort of better capture uh, that scenario where it's like essentially I. I, I, I sort of boosted the learning rate of the model uh, in times when a player like missed a lot of time. So you do get regressed to the mean, but then like the model is sort of more flexible with you when you come back, nice. so, like update update a little faster, and that that sort of helped overall model efficacy. And I was like specifically due to the annoying Durant. Yeah.
0: Issue. No, I think it's yeah, it's cool. Like the the market gives you feedback on this stuff, and like if you can figure out a way to systematically incorporate it it's like probably good um, yeah 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 and so i think like your earlier discussion about the rule change or like the refs enforcing the the, the foul stuff like do you think you would have adjusted quicker if you're using like maybe the closing line the average closing total as something in darko yeah probably um yeah i mean i think that that's
1: that's an incredibly uh informative feature <laughs> so yeah I, I imagine that's like that feature would be really valuable for almost every stat uh i, I suspect um probably like really indicative of pace stuff for instance um yeah. i have like not built that in honestly just because from a just a data pipeline issue of like i have i i have like some historic spread data but I'm not sure I've got it for every game in the darker history, um, and going forward, getting spread stuff like I, I just suck at writing scrapers. So like until I get a scraper that I trust, uh, I don't want to add, <laughs> add add stuff like that in. Um, um, but I, I, I think, think that's, that's a my great Twitter bio like
0: my Twitter bio is addicted to or t- pin tweets, addicting, to, addicted to scraping shit from the internet so <laughs> I, yeah i, I, I found it. this like great package
1: uh this uh this offseason that like helped uh with us and then like uh they it's like it's, it was scraping sbr or something right uh, and then bad. they changed <laughs> they changed their api and now it doesn't work uh so i gotta like
0: find something else oh, I hate right. and how i mean how far back does Darka go because like i think the the spread stuff is probably good now and maybe last few years but like were the nba markets really even any good 15 years ago like darko in 2002 i don't know it maybe doesn't get any value from the spread or
1: yeah maybe not uh dark Darko right now goes back to i can't remember i think it's 97 98 i i'm skipping the first year of the play-by-play era because uh, the quality of the play by play just seems to, to be too low and sort of violating my own rule of never throw it. <laughs> uh it was I'll say it was so low that it was like more hassle for for me, but I I bet you there's value in, in it if I could uh it, it I was like having a lot of issues where it's like players like there's only two hundred minutes in a game or some some stuff. Oh no. um, <laughs> so but it, it goes back that that far. and I'm generally, whenever I, I seek to add a feature, like I want it to be available. I, it doesn't need to be available for the entire time period. Like I've got some tracking stuff in there, but I want it available from a certain date forward. Like I don't want any sort of gaps within there. Where if sure. I'm going to start tracking data in 2014, I want it available for every single game uh, going forward from 2014
0: on. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder... Um... I wonder if, like, the synergy data is easy to get. That would be interesting. I, I do uh, not think that data is easy to get. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: makes sense. They seem to sell it for a decent amount of money. Uh, yeah, I presume like. Yeah, cool. Do you ever think about doing Dargo for college basketball? Uh,
1: yeah, I've actually got right now. I've got a scraper running uh, for for college basketball, and I we'll spent a bunch of time on that this weekend too. Um, you know, I've like run NCAA Darko uh, from time to time, and like I said, the the model framework is is like really flexible. Uh, it's like we basically just need to change, really, just like a handful of column names. Because especially with, with like basketball, it's like it's still basketball, even so, it's like Three point shots or three point shots, um, and the model will, like run and refit and sort of like work really cleanly. Um, the issue I keep running into uh, is again data pipeline of like I I can I get like a data dump of like NCAA stats, but then like when I put to, try to put together scrapers uh, to like update them daily, I keep running into issues um, for whatever reason. The NCAA data ecosystem is much much stronger in R. And I do not have like the mental bandwidth or mental plasticity to learn R as well as Python. Uh, but uh, I did sort of like get or finally write myself a, a sports reference scraper um, this weekend. Um, and maybe I will actually achieve the, the dream of NCI Darko um, sometime soon.
0: Nice. What, what do you think are like the main challenges in terms of how it's different than the NBA?
1: Well, uh, obviously like the big, the biggest issue is that I think is going to be probably fairly dominant um, is the huge difference in competition. Um, that it's like, you know, there's 330 ish teams and Darko has opponent adjustments and I've got an opponent adjustment pipeline, but honestly, like the difference in NBA quality, especially as far as as, like defending threes or something or defend, you know, it's just like the the teams are much closer together in quality Um, and opponents, especially over like an NBA season, the difference in like defenses you're going to face is just like not that big. Um, so my opponent adjustments, like, I think they're pretty good, but they could be totally junk and like, it might not have that big an impact on the model. Um, just cause like op- opponents in the NBA are so close together. And again, they will balance out even if they're not close together. And that's just not true in the NCAA, like a team, you, you, you really could like spend your first 10 games or like maybe even the whole season, just like playing terrible defenses. Um, And I need to like adjust for that. And so I think I'm sort of anticipating a lot of issues of sort of figuring out, is my opponent adjustment approach robust enough to deal with like the huge, huge swings um, that that we see in college basketball. Um, And the other issue is just in terms of creating like an SPM where, you know, I really rely on this like time decay, RAPM APM approach. And I'm sort of I've yet to see if that'll work in uh, in college basketball because players like play like one or two years, especially the best players. Um, and so I'm one I'm sort of curious if uh, if like the creation of the target variable, you know, it's just going to be like a, a much noisier and like shittier target variable. So I'm wondering if that's going to uh, create a lot of problems too.
0: Yeah, I wonder if you could use like the weights trained on an NBA. RPM for college, or if that's just like a really dumb idea. I don't think it's a dumb
1: idea. I mean, if you go to Sports Reference, there's like BPM there, and that BPM is trained on NBA data. Um, and you like, if you sort by BPM, like uh, even trained on NBA data, you just you, you'll more or less get like a list of the best players. Like the weights aren't that bad, uh, but. I don't know. I, well, I, one issue I'd run into with training on NBA data is I have so much more NBA data. Uh, I would need to like train a much more limited model um, that has comparable data to what I've got in college basketball. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I'm, I I do kind of think there'll be like pretty big differences in, in valuation, especially with like uh, the shot clock differences. Um I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll have to see. Uh, it, it is in progress. I'm hoping to have it. Uh, Jake Flancer, who uh, ran one of those wonderful uh, R uh, NCA scraping packages, you know, he's now with the Rockets. Uh, uh, good job, Eli. Uh, <laughs> but he he sort of challenged me and asked me to to put together a public NBA draft model for this uh, this summer, and so that's my internal target. Oh wow! Think, okay. Like, get nca darko running and have a draft model uh for the for this year's draft nice
0: yeah then then your your nba darko could be informed by your ncaa Darko, maybe
1: yeah i mean i think that that that's a real benefit that it's like i my players are being initialized in darko with a height weight age draft position prior but it's like Totally agnostic as far as like specific player profile, so like doesn't know that a player, you know, you know Chet Holmgren's going to come in and won't really know much about him. Like his profile, it'll know, if, you know, that he's seven foot nine, one hundred and twenty pounds. But uh, <laughs> like you know, won't really know uh, much about how he actually plays.
0: Yeah. Nice. Cool. I think that's that's like pretty much all I had on Darko. Is there like anything? I didn't ask that I should have. Um,
1: no, I mean I think this is a, uh, pretty good. Uh, this is fun. Uh, pretty, a pretty fun set of questions. Um, the only thing I, the other thing I wanted to add is I'm also uh, um, in, the, in the, this weekend was like a lot of backscratching. I'm also trying to build out Darko's history to back to the 80s because i want to find <laughs> the, the, the jordan question yeah. um and so uh, that, that's like the other big the big sort of Darko improvement that i'm hoping to roll out sort of in the next few weeks uh that that, that sort of poses some data imputation challenges because like I, the, the data is so much less robust in the 80s like i don't have like play-by-play stuff um but i kind of think I, i'm hoping i can piece of stuff together there
0: nice i i pretty much know nothing about the nba before like 2004 maybe 2005 <laughs> so yeah
1: yeah i mean i again
0: i, I think i said garnett so celtics
1: like it uh, was when i started paying attention and like even then i, I didn't really get into the nba until like 2010 so, like i don't really know most of these guys that well uh but people keep asking me for like older stuff and i feel like I don't know there's a lot of interest in it and the the data imputation issues sort of poses a an interesting modeling challenge for me uh so i'm I'm curious if i can solve it right right
0: now i think that'd be a lot of fun um all right i have some i i find that your twitter's pretty interesting sporadic tweets but uh some good ones uh just kind of wanted to pick the brain about some other NBA analytics topics. Um, I think one of the most interesting things I saw from you was, uh, like preseason net rating actually being really informative of how, uh, like a team plays in the regular season, which is like so unintuitive to me because like no one plays in the preseason. <laughs> um, but like I guess the Bulls were really good in the preseason this year, and they're really good now. Like, do you have any theories on why this is, or how did you even do this? Yeah,
1: what well, yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as like why it is, it's it's because it's like it's still basketball, and like the players are not playing that many minutes. But I think this is this is maybe to the point earlier of like garbage time. is still basketball, um, and yeah. <laughs> I, I maybe I should try to do this but i bet you if you create a model that's like based purely on nba garbage time it'll be like pretty good
0: um, <laughs> i i i'm, I'm kind of curious to try low leverage um, but, rapm or something that'd be funny
1: yeah or like well yeah low leverage rapm if you just like only use stints where it's like the game is out of hand i yeah. bet you that
0: model will be fine
1: That's a
0: I have every possession labeled with a leverage index in my database, so maybe I'll run that. That'd be kind of funny,
1: yeah, <laughs> if you have enough if you have enough like stints, uh so long as you you handle the sample issues, I bet you that model is be like remarkably informative. Um, and I think that's essentially what's going on with basketball with preseason. It's just like, yeah, it's garbage time. yeah, a lot of the players don't play that much, but on the other hand, like basketball more than like other American sports stabilizes super fast. You need like, you know, know, we talk about padding. It takes like seven games of, of padding, uh, for like a basketball team's net rating to stabilize or something. Um, so that, that's like the underlying cause of, of this, of like, why, why is preseason so meaningful? It's because, you know, basketball, it's like not, does not take that many minutes of a team playing basketball to figure out which team is better, um, than, than the other. And, you know, how I did the research, it was just like what I, I did was I pulled, put together, I think, NBA.com as preseason game logs um, going back to 2004. Um, so I pulled those game logs and I. I, calc- I, I calculated each team's internal um, net preseason net rating, and then I also calculated an internal and SRS, like just essentially just a regression uh, to sort of try to op- I, I account for op- opponents. Um, and then I just like s- s- looked at how those features predicted uh, result- uh, the season results, and it's like those features were just incredibly powerful. Um, teams with the best, the best preseason teams uh, by like net rating by SRS like had really good seasons. The worst teams had really bad seasons. Um, I've seen like some people do, you know, I, I, this research has generated some attention this year. I, I don't want to, I want to make clear, I don't, did not like come up with this idea. Like I've, i think I've definitely seen Pelton do it, and Pelton even like looked at. Is the, should you disregard the teams that won like 60 games or something the previous year? Uh, and the answer was yes. Like teams that won 60 games really don't try in the preseason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like there's like more you can do with this. It um, hasn't been so much of an issue in the NBA this year, so I, I didn't bother with that stuff. But there's like more, more you can tease out. Um, like that, and the the real the real thing I should do, and what I keep wanting to do, and I've just never gotten around is, you know, I, I did these net ratings based on um, the the team level, you know, the the team net rating and the team SRS, but you know, you can really do this at the player level. We have player level stats, um, and if you do it at the player level, it should be even more meaningful because now I can. Say like, oh yeah, um, you know Tatum. Tatum played like shit, uh, and then I can weight that more heavily because Tatum's going to play a lot of minutes for the Celtics, um, and I can oh, disregard wow, okay. the minutes the minutes played for, played by like you know the forty percent of garbage time guys. Um, and so if you do it at the player level, the more granular uh, level, it's going to be even more meaningful um, if and when I like layer it onto uh, a win projection model. Um, I mean, this year has been like a little silly. I, I think I posted, yeah. <laughs> uh, the preseason model is running away with the, uh, the informal Twitter win projection uh, contest. Yeah. It's, it's like it's so funny. absolutely crushing. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit of an uh, extreme one. Uh, it's like it really just nailed a few teams. Uh, it really hated the Blazers. It hated uh hated, well everyone hated the lakers but he hated the blazers and i like all the models like the blazers and it was yeah. just really high end, high
0: on the bulls um do you know if uh did dame even play in the preseason maybe there were like some indications of like his you know his injury maybe was just kind of was already there i i kind of uh-huh. think that's why he's been playing bad this year like he's played through something that's yeah, he's he's obviously underperforming like all of the all-in ones on him. I think I'm really high on him too. Just been really wrong about the Blazers. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh I'm trying I'm looking trying to look up right now if he played in preseason. Um preseason. He did play in preseason. He played two games. Did not play particularly well, uh, but you know, two games whatever. Um Yeah, I mean, I I don't know the exact cause uh of why he was like what, why the Blazers I, I need to dig more into what the blazers did so wrong uh in preseason for the model to hate them so much
0: cool all right uh another another tweet you had recently um i think it's kind of silly the uh coach rapm like putting the coach into um yeah into yeah. So yeah. So this is like a uh, Jeremiah Sengelman came up with this.
1: I think I, at least that's right. where I first thought. Maybe somebody I saw it in the sooner. DVR forums. I think yeah, everyone exactly. kind
0: of junk back then too. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, so like,
1: but it's it's kind of a clever idea. You just like treat the coach literally as a, as a sixth man. So it's like you're doing like, instead of a ten man uh, stint, you're doing a twelve man stint, yeah. um, and it's like always on the court, and you you run it, and You run it and you get like, you know, some results. They look, some, uh, some coaches look better than others. Um, You know, I think I I tweeted those results. Uh, It's kind of a fun metric. I'm going to try to keep maintaining it every once in a while. Um, The one thing I'll say is like, I intentionally used the same like Lambda value for the regularization that I used for the players. Um, and I did that because I have also separately done testing where I sort of like let the coach lambda value float freely to like what's the best fit. And when I do it that way, uh, all those coach coach RAPMs get like regressed essentially to zero because <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like it is in fact almost a meaningless. Step. Yeah, yeah, um, I it's, think it it's probably... is. De- it's like the very definition of uh, it's a fun fr- frivolity, but it has like no predictive power.
0: For sure. Oh, yeah, I I pretty much agree. With that. I think measuring coaches would be would be really tough. Um Yeah. Cool. I think last so last playoffs you had some content around making playoff adjustments for your um all in one for your DPM metric. Um yeah, I think modeling the playoffs is kind of interesting too cuz it's, you know, much much smaller sample of data. Uh subjectively the game is looks different. Um, you know, quantitatively, it is it is also different. Um, like, how how do you do those adjustments? For yeah, your... I mean, it is
1: it is smaller data. I'll say, you know, to the this sort of goes to the preseason point of it's smaller data, but basketball stabilizes so fast that uh, like 15, 20 games of preseason data, you know, and you know, <laughs> all the good players make the playoffs every year. Um, you get like decent samples after a while. Um, So, you know, I, I've played around with a bunch of ways of doing this, of, you know, calculating RAPM, or I just, I, I only use playoff data. Um, and like some of that stuff works, but essentially what, what I've, what I've settled on as the, as sort of the best approach is to look at a sort of a residual between, um, the, like the projected, uh, full data set, uh, performance and just like performance in the playoffs. Um, you know, and that gives me, uh, that gives me like, you know, LeBron has played great, uh, in the playoffs. You know, he, he is, he's fact much, much better in the playoffs and, uh, all of the Blazers essentially have played terrible in the playoffs, uh, relative to DPM's projections for the last like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um... And then I essentially just look at how you know how predictive that those year to year, you know, game to game residuals are of future residuals, and I again do the same sort of like regularization around that. Um, and so that gives me like a playoff adjustment, and I don't know, mostly has been passing the smell test, where it's like LeBron is like one or one or one point five points better in the playoffs. Um, than in the regular season and i think that basically matches expectation like the list the leaders are are, are all the guys you kind of expect it's like lebron uh Kawhi, Draymond, um draymond yeah um and i mean the, the the bottom list is is a little bit maybe not as great because it is it is like a lot of blazers <laughs> um and uh-huh. it makes me think like you know, this is like partially tied to how well you're performing in the in the regular season. It's because like, I'm tracking like a residual. Um, so, like, maybe it, it, this could alternatively just be capturing that I'm overrating the Blazers in the regular season systemically and that you would get that same result. Yeah. But on the other hand, like the Blazers, you know, they've had, they've been in the playoffs a bunch uh, and like have not really made a lot of noise. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, there's this new projection system that came out recently drip um i I forget the the site that runs it the analyst or something i feel like they're they're owned by someone um nathan walker did this congrats to him joining the warriors um i noticed that the projections especially for three-point percentage are quite different between drip and darko um he tweeted that uh he thinks some of the he weights recent performance more, and he claims that it has it has uh, lots of predictive value for what's going to happen the next day. So I think I just glanced through Drip. Some of the big differences: it has like Valanciunas is a forty-two percent shooter, three-point shooter. Darko is at thirty-five. Wiggins at forty on Drip. Darko is at thirty-six. Um, what do you think about this methodology? What do you think about how different these seem to be?
1: Yeah, so I, I like seen that, and you know, if you go to the analyst, they have like a visualization of like the difference. Uh, they've got some kind of like personalized model. They call it. There's, he doesn't provide a lot of detail around that, which, which I get. You know, it's like valuable IP. Uh, if he really has had some kind of you know huge breakthrough in terms of predictive power through some kind of personalized model, maybe he doesn't want to. Uh, they obviously they don't want to give that away that's company property um but yeah i mean it's, it's if you like go through it's like shows like him like Steph peaks at like you know 50 percent three-point shooter uh or you know 48 or something i i don't want to caricature it but um you know i've looked at it i've tried to like parse what they're doing i honestly i don't know uh there's not a lot of methodological details yeah, there's that. yeah um i have looked at like you know sort of the it, when those results came out I, I did an internal check of like is there i just checked the residual of like is the darko next day performance predictive um like is there essentially like am i systematically under projecting guys who uh shot like seven out of ten from three on the last game and Mm -hmm. i did not find any kind of like meaningful results it kind of looked just like like noise um so i i have not been able to substantiate this sort of like incredible it sounds like he's doing like a very very local hot hand is the wrong term but it's like game to game hot hand um and he's finding like a huge impact. Um, I have not found that impact personally, but it's it, it's one of these things where a, every you know if I, doing a model wrong uh, is will give you the same result as doing a model right and finding no <laughs> result. Um, so where it's like you know there was a bunch of hot hand research famously, uh, and a bunch of studies found like no no hot hand no hot hand no hot hand. Um, and I was always very skeptical of this because it was like I had a pretty strong prior that there would there was a hot hand, um, and the reason for it is players play hurt. Uh, that's a feature of every sport. Um, players play hurt, and there should be like a continuum. So, insofar as players are perform better when they're healthy, um, just like being being hot should be serving essentially as implicitly a proxy for being healthy. So. Even with no sort of psychological issues uh, associated uh, with like, oh, he's stealing it. Like, I, I have a pretty strong prior that there should be like a hot hand effect, just because it's like serving as a proxy that the player is is healthy and it's not is not ha- is not hiding a nagging injury.
0: Um, yeah, I've never thought about it that way. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I feel like the hot hand thing is really good for the midwit meme. Where, like, the person <laughs> in the post is I, screaming that, that there's that, no hot hand, and that was definitely me in the past too. Like, I remember having some heated debates with friends like oh there's no high hand like shots are independent events and whatever um which i guess that's how you would model it but uh yeah it's not like perfect yeah i mean
1: i first i, I love that midwit meme it's like my uh, my favorite meme uh and the reason it's so powerful is because i i yeah i've been that midwit midwit on so many things especially right. like i I, I have a slight advantage because, like, I'm coming from the baseball wars, and it, where I was like aggressively the midwit for so many years on so many issues, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> like learned some humility from like overrating Adam Dunn or something. Uh, but uh, yeah, at least for the hot for the hot hand, that that's sort of like where, where I came down. That I realized like this this because players play hurt. It's it, there's like. I have a pretty strong indication that there there's a hot hand. And then finally, like, uh, there was a study a few years ago, sort of really counterintuitive result of essentially showing, I, I'm really gonna badly misrepresent this. Uh, this like I don't, Miller, I can't remember who the other co-author was. Um, this paper showed that essentially just like, the way that all the hot hand studies have been done have a systemic bias because um, there are, you should you should actually expect players to um if a player
0: i i'm not gonna be able to describe this, this yeah this, i this, I, this, I know what you're you talking, know, about. talking about talking. it's something about like shooting like n in a row and then they're not like counting it properly you know yeah, I mean, I, I know exactly how, to, how the paper describes it, uh, but like uh, how to apply it, I
1: can't. I can't fathom it. I had to like write a simulator, but yeah. uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if you have a if you have show notes, we should definitely drop a link to uh, to the that paper. And so like if if you adjust yeah. for that, there's like a pretty big hot hand effect. Um, and so maybe Nathan has found something like that. Uh, yeah, I was Nathan, actually doing
0: Nathan's
1: something done. totally different, but go ahead. Uh, Nathan's a great analyst, and like my the fact that I have not found it doesn't mean it's not real. It just means like maybe I'm just doing my study wrong. Uh, so I, I I don't know. Um, it's tough for me to really test, without. I I need to get like the game by game game logs uh, from Drip to compare like which one
0: is actually performing better. Right, exactly. Yeah, if you had that, you could, you know, objectively grade it. Um, It wouldn't be tough. Yeah, I was thinking, like, I wonder if Darko is capturing, like, role changes quick enough, or I guess, like, a proxy of that would just breaking be breaking out, like, catch and shoot versus pull-ups. Like, you know, just looking at Wiggins, for example. Like, yeah, he's shooting great now, but I think his catch and shoot rate is up. And, like, I don't know if... Yeah, I I just don't have an intuitive idea of like Darko would, if those are even features or like if that stuff is kind of getting weighted in there more. Like if he's just playing so differently now than he has been like throughout his career or you know last whatever games. Like maybe there's something there, or like maybe Valanciunas was always kind of good at shooting threes. Just like there's literally no sample of him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I so. Uh... One I, I do have like catch and shoot. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I, I do have that data in there uh, in, in Darko, and so like it should be it should be captured. Um, and so like insofar as yeah you know, I I don't know we can top on my head, but insofar as he's doing way more, uh, he's shooting way better from you know catch and shoot, and that's a much higher share of his volume. Like the model sort of like has access to all those features, um, and should be able to like tell. Yeah, these are stabilized you know the catch and shoot stabilizes faster or Yada, yada um so it it has all that available um and so I, I i don't think that's the difference um and the other thing is like maybe that's the case with Wiggins but again, like some of the Steph stuff that you know Steph's shot profile again it's like he approaching was like fifty percent sometimes on, on drip it seemed um yeah, that's so true. I, yeah. I yeah you're right yeah um so i i don't think that that's it again i it it, from nathan's description it sounds like he has found some kind of like really hyper local
0: hot uh again
1: hot hand at the at the over the course of a few games kind of effect
0: yeah that's fascinating um i mean they're never going to release the (laughs) the Game logs, so whatever yeah um, it's interesting to see a different set of numbers out there though, and at least yeah, i was really it was it's good to like have something else out there um to compare to cool, um I see that Darko really likes shangun and you've made some good content about him um I too think he's pretty fun, um so it was cool to see the numbers also pop for him um yeah, whenever like that that, that's that was part war. of the or. Yeah. Shang- uh
1: the that darko like Shengguan.
0: Yeah, like so much. Yeah.
1: No, I think Shengguan's good. Uh, yeah, I good. I'm unapologetic about this issue. Yeah. Um, so like the 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 model, uh, I, I I took a decent amount of heat when I posted some of this. All like heat in our in our like NBA nerd slack, at least. Right. Uh, <laughs> it was like yeah after like I think after eight or nine games. Um. I had Shingoon as like the third or fourth best um, prospect in the draft uh, in terms of like future projected peak, peak value. Uh, and I think there there are a decent number of people who are like complaining about it. It, it's badly overreactive. But then I, you know, I went back and this doesn't like need to be any kind of like fancy darko modeling. You just like go back at the history again of like players after eight or nine games. You can kind of again, it's not going to be 100% accurate. Uh, you're going to have a bunch of misses, like Anthony Edwards was, was terrible. Um, but there, there is a lot of data there. <laughs> um, and again, it's like, you know, Shingun had a great steal rate. He had a uh, good assist rate. Like there, there, there's data there. That stuff got has to be regressed. Um, you know, you don't, you never take anything at face value. Uh, but, like, he showed, like, real NBA skills in, you know, limited minutes, but, like, he showed real skills. Uh, I, I just think it, he's good. I, I don't
0: think that was, like, an,
1: a modeling uh, miss or really points to, to, like, a flaw necessarily.
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think that makes sense. Like, he does, does a lot of the stuff that uh, the model tends to like, so... Uh, and if anything, like the
1: the the model doesn't, I don't have like his Turkish stats in, in there. Uh, if I like made the model sort of like richer data, it would and like f- fed in some Turkish translations, like which you, I, I think Pelton says. he had Shingun number one overall in his trans like the sh- translations. Um, you know, like he's only going to get better with sort of more data added in. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wonder if he's over or underperformed that prior, like, just analytically. I, I, Yeah, I saw Pelton had him number one, like, just from a purely, like, quantitative standpoint, that's, like, correct. But um, if you put that in, then his, you know, his DPM delta this year wouldn't be very high, probably. Or do you think he's performed at kind of a number one-ish uh... level? I think he still performed like pretty
1: good. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I need to really see the translations, and it's tough to, you know, when I was posting stuff, it was like for his future projection, for his like peak. You know, he is one of the youngest players in the draft. Um, oh yeah. So you know, he's, he's like still nineteen. Um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of guys he was drafted with are now twenty. Um, so I don't know. I feel like he has performed well, and he still has a fair amount of growth. Uh, he's got he's got like growth left. Obviously, all these guys have growth left. Uh, but the you know the, the age curves at this at this point are like highly nonlinear. Like the difference between being like 19 and 180 days and being um, you know 20 is like pretty big. This is a I don't know. Do, do you know this like Mike Trout study? No, I don't know. Where's... There, there was a really famous um, baseball study that essentially showed that uh, there was a huge, huge bias in it, it just like taking uh, taking players who were young for their age. Like the difference between being like 18 uh, and zero days and being like 18 and like, you know, 364 days is like <laughs> okay. worth, uh, worth like four or five rounds of the draft or something, you know, I'm... I'm botching this study uh, it's been a while but it was it was like a really big deal um and in particular like uh, suggested like huge things for, for trout that there was a lot of like rounding going on with the aging oh yeah <laughs> i guess um, yeah it's it, like it, it doesn't matter when you're 25 or 26 like the difference uh, at that point everything your age curve is so flat um, but at like age 18, like you really are improving sort of a material amount at every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at those like extreme ages, like it, the, the, those differences are real.
0: Yeah, makes sense. All right, we'll do we'll do one last question here. Um I've gone super long, but it's been really good talking uh, to you through all this stuff. Um, this is a really long question. You can answer as much of it as you want or as little as you want. Um, sent to me by at chatham3 twitter friend he says suppose you are drafting a team against the other 29 nba gms tomorrow it's for one full 82 game single season no contract considerations or future value to think about Lone goal goals to win a championship this season who would you be targeting if you had the first overall pick who would you try to target in mid and later rounds how hard would you lean on darko to inform your selections how would you think about team fit and synergies on top of raw impact metrics in a vacuum? Would you use anything to help quantify that issue or keep it subjective? And then, any other considerations you try to make to gain an edge? Who would you choose to coach the team? <laughs> coach the team? That's <laughs> cool. who,
1: who, who's leading in coach RFP? Have you told <laughs> me? Gotta pull up that tweet out. real quick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, who would I take? Um, would I be targeting if I had the first overall pick? Uh, you know, Darko I guess says it's Giannis. Uh I kind of think I would just take Giannis. Uh, I don't want to overthink it. Like I can see a credible case for LeBron or Jokic. I think those are really the only. Really, actually, Jokic is the only one in my mind who uh, I can see like a credible case for. Uh, but I don't want to overthink it. I think like Darko's. Model is pretty good, and especially for like the first pick, uh, where I I I don't yet need to worry about fit issues and just like build fit around them. I I would just go Yanis there. Um, Who would I be trying to target in mid to later rounds? Uh, The best Darko
0: player? I don't know. Yeah, I mean this it's
1: tough. Like, would I just literally target the best Darko player? Probably not. I think uh, Darko. I don't. I don't think Darko is unique, but I think it, it, in this respect, it does have like a a soft spot for those like hold your hands up centers, uh, where it's like you know Potal or uh, Hartenstein, or, you know, it's got it's got a lot of those guys like sort of graded suspiciously high. I um, think hey, they're I think they're pretty athletic. They're, pretty athletic. <laughs> they're white. Um, they're athletic. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I just like told on myself. I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but like you know, I don't, I don't know. I'll say I think some of their impact impact metrics are highly like, I'm capturing impact and not necessarily capturing talent. That uh, it's like it is they are being put in this, in a position to succeed. Um, how high, uh, how hard would I lean on Darko? Um, I think I'd lean on Darko pretty hard relative to any. Any other like public system um, I think dark is like pretty good um, you know like there's, there's other other good systems out there um, I in particular like I know the strengths and weaknesses of darko pretty well so it's just like easier to lean on it whereas if I lean on other systems I'm sort of more uh, more at risk of falling into like a, a, a hole I don't know about um how do I, th- I think about issues of team fit and synergies? Um, I think those are those are like pretty pretty real. I I do not want to uh, underemphasize those. Like I yeah I, I think that those are like a really big deal. I uh, um, once wrote an article where I like. I talked about the Kyrie Irving trade and I I think I favorably compared Jay Crowder to Kyrie Irving uh <laughs> or something in the in in Crowder's uh peak with the Celtics and he was like you know for a minute he was like a top ten R A P M guy or something yeah. I think some stats. Um so like I I I I would I would be pretty heavily on uh team fit and and synergies kind of stuff. Uh how would I actually quantify that? I don't know, I would ask like Seth Partner or something. Uh someone's like (laughs) smarter and closer to this uh uh, that sort of stuff. I have
0: you you done have you done any like possession level stuff with Darko like obviously you summing the five Darko ratings against the other five like is probably decently predictive of possession outcomes, but like what would you add into that to make it more robust? Like if you had like a three-center lineup, maybe you can't just add their darkos or some like weird lineups, I guess. Or like, you know, I, I think that's maybe what the question's trying to get at. Um, yeah,
1: yeah that, that's a that's a good
0: question. Uh, I've I've played around with
1: some of this stuff a little bit, where, um, I have tried to like put together models to see how like lineups perform where um we're the best player the best player on offense it's still like just using an all-around offensive valuation of like where the best player is dramatically better than any of the other players um, do those lineups perform better than like five relatively equal players so like a player a, a plus 10 player and four plus zero guys is that team going to be more effective than five plus two guys
0: um and the answer is like yes uh i found that too yeah i i put in like a genie coefficient feature to like just i predicted some possessions and like more inequality is like good for the lineup
1: Um, yeah uh more inequality is good for the lineup and i I like i i I went went further and i've calculated like the coefficients uh for uh, those um and they helpfully sort of like matched uh the order, so so it was the trying to figure out how to describe this well, but uh, essentially the your most valuable, your best player, you know, has like 1.5x value. Your second best player has like 1.3x value. Your third player has like 1x value. It sort of like matched the order, and I let those coefficients float freely and let an optimizer solve for them, uh, and it sort of like came up with the order I was hoping for is always a, yes. a good thing for no. <laughs> you know, yeah. run into confirmation bias stuff. Um, <laughs> so you know, I think uh, I think that stuff is is real. Um, and G- Gini index is a, is a good way of doing it. I mean, intro guy I prefer the uh, HHIs, uh, the Hirschman uh, Herfindahl index. Uh,
0: but uh, um, yeah, Genie Yeah, weird I mean, like, too. there's like I I found some weird paper that's like, how do you genie if there's like negative values and there's some weird like conversion that i didn't understand we just copy pasted the math but yeah i don't know why i didn't use hhi that's uh
1: hhi is like simpler and yeah. <laughs> i don't know uh, it depends what you're trying to do i, Wait, I it's not do clear. HHI really... with negative numbers would that even work uh no hhi you're still gonna need to yeah. essentially add in a replacement right okay you're gonna need to add in a replacement and figure it and like just move everyone to their share of like the total value.
0: Okay. I guess that would make sense,
1: yeah. Um Um, yeah, I mean the how it's an interesting question of like how do you deal with like what what would a three center lineup do? Um and you like RAPM is not is only going to be so informative because it's trained on actual data and not a lot of coaches are running three centers out there. Um, It's like RAPM performs well um and it per- performs like pretty like pretty well in terms of predicting stints but that's like within the assumption that like coaches are kind of playing you know try- putting together lineups that resemble nba lineups mm-hmm. um and just like kind of like if that starts to break down yeah i mean i don't expect it to hold uh i i've kicked around how to uh Solve this issue. I've honestly never found like a great answer because it's just like the train. I'm just never gonna have, gonna have like, training data. Um, this is an issue where this is an area where like Christian N- Narser might be sort of better equipped because he's done so much work on the role stuff. Um, right. And they they claim to have like found really big impacts to various lineup combination stuff. Um, I, I've honestly not done as much much there, so uh, I'm gonna punt on this question.
0: Okay. Yeah, I should I should ask them. I've always wondered, but also haven't done the work. <laughs> Or
1: I spent a I lot. I mean, of... index—they've got—they've got like a model where you like pick players, and it'll like tell you. Yeah. They—they they claim to have like quantified and like solved this issue. Um, I haven't seen okay. the research backing up, but it seems like pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of their stuff is like hand labeled or something, and I was a little put off by that. But um, yeah, their their stuff at least like I think they've thought about this a lot more than. Yeah. They have, at least. Um, I I
1: think it's a good issue, and it's like in some ways it's surprising that that more of us are not thinking about this because it's like so obviously a real phenomenon <laughs> right. um it's like it's like it's not like they're pursuing this and like everyone else thinks it's nonsense it's like everyone agrees it's like a real phenomenon it's just like too much of a hassle to deal with
0: yeah exactly this is what i was saying earlier about like oh we're still stuck on RPM. like yeah you know, <laughs> how, how not like how so few people like actually even thought about the fact that you can't just add people together if you have some weird lineups or even if you don't have weird lineups like you know uh i think if you don't have weird lineups at our apm is fine it's um, fine i think I've like posted these out things, another like two percent or something with something like a little more
1: yeah yeah you could probably squeeze out like another two percent but i think then like once you're then fitting an spm onto it like that two percent is not that valuable that's kind of my instinct mm, okay maybe that's wrong i don't know you're giving me that
0: "Mm," that suggests
1: like (laughs)
0: you found a lot of value there so maybe maybe i'm i guess it just depends on like what context like you're looking at these analytics right like if you're a team maybe like you you know who's on the team like it would be cool to run simulations of like oh what if we replace you know this player with this other player in this lineup right um and just kind of answer those questions more quantitatively Uh, yeah i think that that's definitely true um yeah yeah um any other considerations you try to you'd make to try to gain an edge considerations i try to gain an edge uh you
1: know so like doesn't the, the one thing at one point uh the one thing i had an idea here and it doesn't really totally work anymore is uh with like draymond not being at the peak of his powers but i always thought like back when draymond was like the number uh you know at, at his absolute peak i always kind of wanted to take him number like one in one of these questions <laughs> uh because he seemed to be also just like the most irreplaceable player uh, that's like if you depending how deep your sort of sort of your like draft is, like you're gonna find a primary ball handler uh later regardless. Uh whereas like if you like there's only one Draymond uh and nobody can sort of like match the the drop off between like him and like the number two guy who's gonna be playing like your two through five positions is like so huge. Um so I do I do kind of think like that stuff is is real where you should like think about the the number of available sort of heliocentric guys, um, but I I don't think in the current NBA I have a great example of of, of that.
0: Um, maybe
1: like Gobert, I would sort of value higher, but maybe it's wrong. I don't know.
0: Um, yeah, Hollinger seems to really like him. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, he's I, just I, hated I, by everyone for no reason yeah like
1: everyone everyone's turned on go because of the playoff stuff so i don't
0: know um what about do you think um do you think players could play in a certain way to game darko or game some other all-in-one stats that maybe don't capture some effects wrong or like correctly like could a player if if a player like really studied one of these on one metrics could they play in a certain way to like boost themselves and then maybe you know you can trade them or something if <laughs> yeah else... that, that's certainly
1: the so the, the canonical example here is russell westbrook uh obviously like with the he, where he was like chasing uh double doubles um and you know bpm uh had this like interaction effect between assists and rebounds um which is a, a good effect I, I remember reading that that write up, and I was like, that was really clever because the idea was that uh, rebounds by guards are more valuable than other rebounds, um, and assists by bigs are more valuable than like assists mm-hmm. by guards, um, yeah. which again, I think both that, that captures like an underlying truth. Um, but then, like, you know, I was trained on this like 10 year RAPM data set uh and there's just never been a player like russ who could like really challenge it and you got this you got these like audacious results where his bpm is like plus 14 or something uh because of this interaction effect um you know i don't think he was ex- he was he was explicitly gaming the stats
0: i don't think he was trying to game bpm uh yeah. but it's you know, harder now. It. we're smarter now we wouldn't be tricked by russ <laughs> yeah uh, exactly uh what about you know, like, so like I, was, I was thinking like guards who can Kind of artificially suppress turnovers by just holding on to it a long time, and then like forcing the person they pass to to shoot it. You know, you get a lot of boost in Darko from shooting from, like
1: usage. I okay. feel like actually you might not help yourself that much. Um, now the one I wonder about it's sort of the opposite way of like the the guys I wonder about are where I feel like Darko maybe making like systemic messes, misses is guys like Ja who, you know, you, you run into this issue where a lot of primary ball handling point guards grade at like minus two on defense or something. And it's just like a calamity and it's just like tough to dig out of a hole. And so Darko ends up being a lot lower on Ja than conventional wisdom. Cause you know, he's like plus four on offense, which is great, but he's minus two on defense. And it's like, Oh, he's a plus two guy. That's pretty good. But like not nearly where his rep is. Um, and, and I, I, I do like, I, I'm really interested in the offense versus defense trade-off issue. This is like really tough to study. Um, but of like, as you, if you took primary ball handling responsibilities away from job, like would his defense get better? Um, you could think, think this is like the Kawhi Leonard problem too. Of Is mm-hmm. it a coincidence that Kawhi's like defensive metrics really fell off when he started being the primary uh, option offense. And I think like probably not, probably not a coincidence. Um, and I'd be like, I feel like there is avenues to to quantify that effect. Um, and I feel like maybe that's, that's like an area where insofar as I'm building a team, I can sort of like try to game some of that stuff a little bit of like some guys are gonna be underrated by Darko and if I've got a team fit that has a lot of ball handlers, um, like maybe I can sort of just eat that those minus two defensive ratings and just count on them to like not be as as disastrous.
0: Yeah, that seems like a good thing to to study. Uh, also surprised there's not more of that. Uh, maybe I should do it myself, but
1: it's uh, it's tough to. St- I, I've like tried to do it. It's tough to study. It's you can't just look at changes because you you you've got these like. You got these issues of uh, of role changes in response to talent. It's not like the essentially just selection effects uh, going
0: on there. Yeah. Well, I, I f- well for the specific like offense defense trade off thing isn't part of the issue that we don't have good defensive metrics, especially for like single game. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah. You would you're gonna end up like. <laughs>
1: showing like a pattern over like a 12 year RATM or something uh yeah and so I I don't have a great idea for how to solve that but that one does seem like it should be solvable in some way
0: what about okay what about for like if we're trying to predict the possession like you have a Darko rating for guards like the feature would be like Darko guard rating Darko wing rating Darko center rating for offense and defense like would you Maybe the guard defense coefficient would be lower because it matters less or something, and if it's not lower, then maybe it does matter. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that uh, that does make sense, and I think maybe that that is sort of a a good way of doing it. You know, there is this like matchup data available. You can see like you can like break down like a t- possessions when a guy spent defending a guard defending a. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. It's like maybe leaning more into that stuff. Yeah, would sort of yield uh, yield those benefits, and yeah, I'm, I'm sort of thinking aloud here. Where it's yeah, maybe you should have like a, a mod. You know, Darko actually has. I have a model right now in, in the background of a guy is going to play. You know, 23% point guard. You know, 14% shooting guard, et cetera. So I, I do already model sort of like position at a in sort of a. Um, percentage of possessions uh, level and but i'm not mo- i'm modeling defensive impact at a game level and yeah maybe i should try to like break those down into components and it will be you know in sort of the same way that anything else as your resolution of your data increases like you're gonna get better better results uh, at the hierarchical level yeah
0: yeah that makes sense that's an interesting idea yeah there's a, a lot of good ideas here. <laughs> maybe maybe someone will do them if they make it through uh, two and a half hours. <laughs> um, cool. I mean, yeah, this was super fun talking to you. Um, I feel inspired, and uh, we'll mess with some more data. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to bring up?
1: Uh, no. This is this is good. I I don't get a lot of opportunity to. To talk totally in the in the weeds of uh,
0: of the stuff, Uh, so it's fun. I'm not a big media guy, so I'm uh, not concerned about how uh, how broad appeal this has. (laughs) All right, cool. Thanks, Bastia. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Right.
2: Totally.